Hello? Am I on? That'll work. That's a youth ministry thing. I'm sorry. Gavin, he's a troublemaker. Okay, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today, verse 11, verses 11 to 22. I'm going to turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you today, I'll have the verses on the screen. Um, and that was a good set. Thank you, worship team. I'd rather you guys just kept doing it and I didn't have to talk today. Um, <laughs> I heard that over there. Amen. Smart aleck. Um, I didn't mention this earlier. Uh, when these kids were born, um, gas was like $1.06 a gallon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those of you that have SUVs just had like, oh, my gosh, you know, just depression moment. Um, just different times. 95, 96. Um, the hit song was Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony. <laughs> They're just better times, weren't they? <laughs> they were just better times. Macarena? <laughs> nope, I'm not doing it. <laughs> no, it's not happening. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You know what? I didn't have you stand. I'm sorry. Stand and honor the word of God. I've had an extra shot of espresso in my coffee, so you're just going to have to excuse me as if the coffee wasn't good enough. Okay. Remember that you... You were at, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And pray with me. Father God, thank you uh, so much for the opportunity to gather today. Thank you for the opportunity um, to be saved. Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you that we're not on our own, that you didn't run out on us, um, that even while we were spitting in your face, God, that you, you rescued us. Thank you for that. Thank you for being gracious far and above what we can understand. God, would you help us as we read today, as we study your word? Lord, would you just illuminate the words? Lord, sink them deeply into our hearts. Lord, let us leave uh, changed people. Um, and God, we just ask that you, your Holy Spirit would, would not only um, be the one preaching today, Lord, but you would warm hearts up to your word. Um, Lord, we have one purpose for being here, and it's to honor and glorify you. And so, God, we just pray that that happens. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Um, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you might understand the feeling of kind of departing from foundational truths and principles. 
Um, I've been in church all my life, got saved at 16, and so now as a 31-year-old, as a I find myself kind of forgetting where I came from in faith. Um, in essence, uh, Paul gets to it pretty quickly. Um, this will help you as we read the book of Ephesians because there's kind of a part one and a part two to Ephesians. It's very, very clear. There's six chapters. The first three are, are about um, who you are in Christ, your position. Um, it, it has to do with what Christ has done for you. And then the, the, the last three chapters, four through six, talk a lot about how you walk that out, how you live it out as a, as a believer. And so we're going to focus most of our time um, in this little section in the first half, um, but there will be some application uh, when we end. But even before uh, verse 11 in chapter 2, there's this first section, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. It starts out that you were dead, right? So good news today. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And he's talking to Christians, ladies and gentlemen. So, so be, be very careful to, to listen to his message for who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the believers at Ephesus. And he says, you're dead in these trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, um, at, you know, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, um, nothing positive yet, right? Among flesh, um, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the, the rest of mankind. That's the first three verses, and it's just like, okay, where's the good news? The good news is, verse 4, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. Um, it would help us all to understand that our position in Christ now is, is alive if we're Christians. Um, if we have surrendered our lives, if we have given our lives to Jesus, if we have um, the Holy Spirit inside of us, we are, we are made alive. Um, before that moment, you, you were dead, um, not sick, right? We, we tend to, to kind of view sin as a sickness. I tend to do that. We, we were dead. And dead people, um, there's just not a whole lot they do. Right? I mean, they don't choose God, first of all. They don't move. They don't, they don't do good things. They don't do bad things. They don't do things. Um, but spiritually, we were dead. And it helps us if we were to understand that. And so Paul starts off pretty quickly. Uh, I believe Tom last week talked about, it was either last week or the week before, talked about how we were, by grace, uh, we've been saved through faith. It's not of our own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. That's verse 8 and 9 of chapter 2. And so it just, I, I think it would help us because Paul talks about it in the first part of chapter 2, but in the second part of chapter 2, he kind of revisit, revisits it in a little bit different of a setting. Okay, so we understand that we're, we're dead before we're in Christ, spiritually dead. We, we don't choose God. We don't, there's nothing good in us, right? And, and in order for us to be saved, it has to be God's work in us. And when that happens, we're made alive. We're lifted up, right, um, with him. Uh, because he did the work. But in verse 11, he starts talking to kind of two different people groups. He talks about Jews and he talks about Gentiles. And he's talking to Gentiles because they've been kind of left out. Um, if you could imagine, there's, there's always been the Jews. There's always been God's chosen people. So obviously, who has, you know, the, the, the rights to all this cool stuff? Well, in verse um, 11 through uh, 12, you learn, you know, the Gentiles didn't have anything. Um, it said that they were, um, verse 12, they were separated from Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They had no citizenship. Um, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. 
um, they had no hope, and they were without God. And so that's a pretty bad situation for the Gentiles to be in. Um, and what he's about to do is tell you how all of that changes. Um, and so there's three kind of sub-points um, to this little section. And this, they're, they're really what I want to call three relational standpoints. Um, in the first couple verses, in, in 11 through 12, you see that they are uh, separated. They were separated. Um, he's talking to people that have surrendered to Jesus, that God has saved. And so he's saying, you were separated. No longer are they separated. But sometimes it helps us Christians to remember that we were hopeless without Jesus. We were. And I forget that. Because I've now lived, I guess, the majority of my life as a Christian. And sometimes I forget as I'm walking out my faith that God saved me out of a pit of sin. Right? Even though I was going to church every Sunday, even though my whole like, family was saved, I, I was saved out of a pit. Even the good things I did had elements of pride and sin in them. Um, totally, totally against the will of God. And so it helps us to realize that we were separated. It's, uh, he, he, he's talking to two different kinds of groups of people. First of all, he's talking to um, Jews and Gentiles kind of specifically in that context. But don't miss the whole point. He's talking also about sinners and God. Okay, so, so this is all of us here, and, and, and we're Gentiles most of us. <laughs> so um, he's saying that you were separated from God before you were in Christ, before God saved you. If you're a Christian in this room, you were hopeless and, uh, and you were a sinner. And by nature, you were at enmity with God. You were opposing God. You may not have said that verbally. You never, may not have waved a flag. You may not have, you know, called yourself an atheist or an agnostic or something like that, but you were opposing God by your very nature. The Bible says that about us, and that when he says, you know, but God, being rich in mercy, and, and then it kind of um, is the same kind of structure here. If you see in verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that because that means that it's not up to us. You have been brought near. That's passive. You, you had no active agency in that. You didn't pull up your own bootstraps and save yourself. In verse 14, it says, he himself is our peace. Um, so we are not our peace. It's not our ability to be peaceful. He's our peace. He's the one who, who settled the debt, um, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Watch this. Remember, he's talking to Jews and Gentiles and sinners. And, you know, the relationship sinners had to God before. But think about Jews and Gentiles. Jews were in. Gentiles were out. Right? He says... He broke down the wall of hostility, verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. How much did the Jews love that? Those who have been following the rules all their lives, making the sacrifices all their lives, right? This is, this is, um, this is like when, when someone on their deathbed confesses Christ, but they've lived their whole life, you know, doing whatever they want to. Some of us tend to get mad at that. And you know what Jesus says? I love him. I love him. He's, he's blessed when that happens. He's pleased to save someone, whether they're four years old or whether they're on their deathbed. Right? He, he, he teaches a, terrible, a parable on that. Don't have time to get in that. But he says, I broke down the peace. Um, I preached peace to you who were far off and those who were, were near. And then in verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The second little section 
that we see right there that I just read in, in verse 13 and 18 is that we were reconciled. We were reconciled. If you're a Christian in here, what you need to understand is that, yes, you were hopeless, but God reconciled that. He, he, he paid the debt, right? You have, um, you have all these kind of, uh, of dichotomies, and they're not false. Um, you have a God of uh, love, right, who loves sinners, wants to save sinners, wants to rescue people. But that same God of love is a God of justice. And so how beautiful of a picture is it when a God of justice who needs justice, that needs, that the wrath has to be taken on, out on someone. He takes it out on himself. He takes it out on his son. And thereby, there's justice and there's love. And he paid for all of that with his own son's blood. Colossians 1, uh, 19 and 20 says it this way. In him, we have all the fullness of God. Uh, I'm sorry. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Uh, Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, says it this way. Let's get there. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You start to see those same words over and over and over again. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, we Christians tend to be good at drawing lines in the sand. My team's over here, your team's over there. Um, here's what Jesus says. I, I came to preach peace to all of you. And, and he would even say it this way, um, or Paul would say it this way. There was once um, two different groups of people. Um, in the middle of verse 15, he says, he might create himself in himself, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So don't worry about the lines of Jew and Gentile at this point. Worry about in Christ. That's his people. This is this new humanity. Because all up until the, 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 the time when Jesus came, it was Jews and Gentiles. And Jews, you know, who, who um, followed God and loved God and did what they were supposed to do were in. And the Gentiles, for the most part, right, were out. And he said, no, no, I, I came to bring a new humanity a new creation, um, and, and that is the people who are in Christ. And um, it was a long time coming, um, but you have to know that, that it was such a good thing that he did. And here's what we need to understand as well. You know, Romans would talk about this. Um, I believe Ephesians talks about this, where the people in the Old Testament, they didn't have Jesus to look at, Right? So, so we preach in, in circles today, you know, just accept Jesus, surrender to Jesus, love Jesus, right? Give your life to Jesus, and Jesus is the one that saves you, and all these kinds of things. Um, and what did the Old Testament people do? Well, they loved God. In fact, it was said in, in Romans that Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. We're going to be studying in Hebrews 11 this month all about, you know, these people of faith, the Old Testament saints, you know, New Testament saints. The one thing that had, they had in common, they believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. And here's what's interesting. Heaven is not a place for people who don't want to go to hell. I, I had the wrong idea when I was a kid, right? Because someone stood up in a pulpit and said, do you want to go to hell where you're going to burn forever? Or do you want to go to heaven with mommy and daddy? It's an easy one to answer. I raised my hand, you know, make a decision. Didn't really mean anything to me. You know why I made that decision? Because I didn't want to go to hell. 
It was never about Jesus. Right? Not going to hell can be an idol for us. Heaven is not a place. I ask this question um, of our students. Does it sound boring to you to worship Jesus forever in heaven? If it does, maybe we've got the wrong idea. Jesus preaches, and Paul preaches here specifically, a new humanity of people who were near and people who were far off, peace. Peace together with each other and definitely peace with God. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Access is the word that's kind of um, standing out to me in this. In fact, if you think about Old Testament Judaism, um, I found this week where there was an inscription in the temple where, because um, in the temple, you know, there's all these different rooms, and if you get to the core of the temple, there's the Holy of Holies. What's beautiful about the picture of Jesus dying on the cross is that when he dies on the cross, the moment he gives up his breath, the veil tears, right? The veil is split from top to bottom, and that signifies to us at that moment he said it's finished, there's access, because in Old Testament Judaism, there's only one dude that walks in the Holy of Holies, and it's the priest, right, who's been cleansed, and he's offering prayer and, and sacrifice for his people. But Jesus is our high priest, right? Jesus is the only one that goes to God on behalf of us. We don't need anyone to go to God on behalf of us. We have access to the Father. Wherever you come from, when Jesus saves you, you have access to the Father. In that temple, um, there was an inscription that Herod put there because, um, you know, Gentiles could not take place uh, take part in all the same stuff that the Jews took, took part in. There was an inscription in the temple that read something like this. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. So if you could imagine, there's this huge area where all the Jews are allowed. You know, and you go into the very middle, there's the Holy of Holies, but there's all this whole area where the Jews are allowed to hang out in. But the Gentiles couldn't even go there. They were, uh, it's the proverbial back of the bus is exactly what it is. Um, this is the place where you guys can hang out. And what Herod says is no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Okay, so, so it's built in, this idea that, that we're different. And Jesus came to make us one. Um, the really, really cool part about this is that, that um, See, in Hebrews 10, it says this, I think it'll be on the screen for you. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. He talks about how there's access, right? There's, there's, we, we, can, we can boldly walk in, um, and, and not flippantly, not flippantly. We don't have confidence because we're awesome. 
We have confidence because Jesus did the work. And he invites us in. We have access. So you have all of these different passages in the New Testament saying the same thing. We were, we were far off and we were brought near. There's the last section of, of Ephesians 2. That's verse 19 to 22. And the relational standpoint here is just that we're made one body. We're made one. Um, and, and it's kind of weird. It's, it's hard to kind of nail this down because there's different images, even in these few verses, of what we're made one into. If you look with me in verse 19, it says, Then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Okay, so your fellow citizens. That's, that's one of the fellow citizens. You, you have kind of a nation there. Um, and with the saints and members of the household of God. So there's the, the body of Christ. There's the believers. Um, it's kind of a family of God uh, conversation happening here as well. And then built on the foundation of the apostles um, and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the one that sets the whole thing straight, um, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. You're made into a temple, the place where God lives, the place where, um, you know, it says in 1 Corinthians that you are the temple of God. Right? So, so we should run from sin, not just abuse grace. Uh, verse 22, it says this, In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's, there's, we're citizens, um, we, we're in this family of God, and we're also the temple of God. Guys, there's all of this really, really helpful stuff, positive stuff. We should be excited. Right? Some of us need to remember that we were hopeless. Right? We were separated from God. And some of us need to remember that we were reconciled to God because some of us keep running back to the fact that we're sinners. And, and let me just give you some help here. Um, God's grace is, is better. The, the blood that he shed on the cross is permanent, and it is full, and it is good, and it washes clean. And so, so we need not, Christians, um, live in depression of the sin that we once walked in but we need to walk forward as children of light, Ephesians 5 would say. Walk forward as children of love and wisdom. I don't know where you're at today, um, but I, I will say this. Um, see, Ephesians 1 through 3, like I said, has a lot to do with kind of what's, what your position in Christ is all about. Um, it has a little, little to do with head knowledge and more to do with a heart position or, or like soul position with where you are with God. But for the most part, this sermon so far has been like understanding things and, and knowing your position in Christ. But the last half of Ephesians, you can't ignore that. It talks about um, how you walk that out and how you live it out. Okay, so, so here's what's interesting about this last, these last couple verses in chapter 2 is what I think, what I see here is that, Yes, you believers have something to internalize into your heart and to your soul. Understand that Jesus has saved you. Understand that you're a part of something. Uh, but that's exactly what I want to say. There's a singular kind of, there's like an individual, like accept what God has given you into your heart. Understand that. But if you walk around as if that's all you need, you've missed the point because he brings you apart into the body as well. So there's a kind of a singular application, what, what God wants to do in you, but he's, you've been, you're being built together, verse 22. You're being built together into a dwelling pa place for God by the Spirit. This is a plural issue. This is a body of Christ issue. So I'll ask you again, does worshiping Jesus forever in heaven sound boring to you? Let me ask you a more important and maybe a little more painful question. 
Think of the most annoying Christian you know. Like, I don't have to think of him. He's standing on the stage right now. What about standing next to that person forever worshiping Jesus? Uh-oh. Right? Like, Jesus was asked what the most important commandment is. Love God with all your heart and all your soul. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's obvious. Love God. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, that, that's hard. That's not easy. It's not easy to love God. It, I feel like it's in our heads it's easier. Because we look at the people around us that are kind of hard to love, right? And that's difficult. I believe Paul is teaching us something about the kingdom here, here on earth. This is why there's no place for um, looking down on different people in the church. Because God could have looked down on us. He had every right to. He didn't have to send his son, but he did. We are forgiven people. We ought to forgive. We ought to be united. So what do we do with this information? We have peace. We have access. Um, If you're like me, your tendency is to kind of sit on this information and just be happy about it and just go on live and wait until I die and go to heaven. It's adventurous, isn't it, by the way? Just the thought of that. I'm going to wait to die. The last half of Ephesians talks about the practicality of it. If, if God has forgiven you, if God has loved you, if God has saved you, if God has rescued you, don't you think that we could be agents of grace as well, the Holy Spirit working through us? I wonder what what it would look like if we took a map and just put it on the screen, and then we were to put a pin where you live in your neighborhood. I wonder how much influence we would have in a city. But I wonder if you're like me, if you ever venture out to talk to your neighbors or your coworkers or the kids in school next to you, the kids on the team, right, the other parents in your, in your club or whatever. Um, what would it look like if we were to not just sit on this information, but understand that there's a dying world out there that is opposed to God, that is separated from God, because rest assured, there are people out there that are separated from God, and if we sit in here and all we do is help ourselves with the information, that is the equivalent to getting fat and never exercising. That's not the point. We feed, 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 feed. We need to help feed other people. We need to share this with other people. But if you're like me, you sometimes get worried that you can't do it. Which is crazy considering the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. Who is God and has all the power in the universe. And it's crazy to to me to think that sometimes I try to rely on my own strength to do God's work. To even stand up here and preach a message. To talk to my neighbor to love my family. God never once asked me to call on my own strength and my own power within myself to do this work. Right? There's, there's portions in the scripture where it would say, I, I saved you. You think you have to live it out on your own? Right? Why would I give you the Holy Spirit if you don't need any help? Yesterday I was, uh, 
I was uh, taking our boys on a walk around our neighborhood, and um, we've got these big wheels that they, that's all they want to do all day, forever and ever and ever, and uh, they think that there's one reason to go outside, and that's to get on the big wheel, so when we get in the car, they think it's an act of treason to not spend 20 minutes on the big wheels, and so yesterday I said, you know what, we're going for a walk, let's go, let's leave mama, she's 36 weeks pregnant, she is sick and stinking tired of you guys, and it's only 9 a.m., we're going on a walk. So we got outside, and, and we went rolling around. And, and what I planned to do was to go up the street and back down the street because it's level. It's easy. Um, my, my four-year-old, Kipton, wanted to go around the block, which includes this pretty steep hill for him on a big wheel. And he said, I can do it, Daddy. I was like, I don't know. I can do it. I was like, well, let's just not because I don't want to bend over. I don't want to. I'm 31, and I'm sorry. I'm the oldest 31 I know. Uh, I'm going to break my back pushing you up a hill. It's not happening. He's like, daddy, daddy, daddy. I'm like, oh, okay. So, so we go around, we, we go around, we go around, we, we hit this corner, and then there's the hill. And I'm like, here we go. And sure enough, he stops. Golly. So he's like, daddy, daddy, help me. And I've got a one-year-old over here that's making it on his own. And I'm like, sissy, get up there on your own. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, all right. And here's what happens. I put my hand on his back and exerted no force whatsoever. And he started going. And it hit me all of a sudden. Right? It's, it's not our power to do kingdom work. When Kipton sensed that his daddy's hand was at his back, he sensed this source of power or strength. I understand. I mean, it's not a joke. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> when he sensed that his daddy was with him and that his daddy was the one doing the work, it's funny how he pedaled a little harder. I don't know about you, but I tend to run away from these truths on the screen. I tend to run away from the fact that I was hopeless. Sometimes I get a little prideful about my faith. I need to remember that I am nothing without Christ. I need to remember that he was the one that reconciled me. He was the one that did the work. He was the one. Our God our Father was the one who sent the Son to pay that penalty on the cross. And that picture of the veil is nothing more than an illustration of his flesh being torn to pay the penalty for our sins. I had nothing to do with it. Uh, we, we are one body, and I wonder what it would look like as a body if we collectively got on board with God's mission for our city. This word access is, it means a lot to me, and I didn't have time to tell the first service this, um, but it's, it's a word that has been on my heart for the last couple of years, and I've honestly kind of been running from this sermon the last couple of times I've been asked, but um, it's, it's, it's so much a part of our Life. This is kind of this is like the name for our church is Access Church um, in Ohio that we're going to be planning this September, and um, and I just I have to ask: Are you are you running from God this morning? Because that position is hopeless. Are you separating yourself? Right? Is there has there ever been a time where you realize that you were a sinner? And that you need a savior. 
And we, we tend to think that we can do all this on our own. Romans 5 would say it this way. We've been justified by faith, and that's how we have access to the Father. And that's how we have peace. That's what's so important for us to realize. Some of you, I'm just pleading. I, I've been praying for you all week. I'm, I'm pleading that you stop running. That you look at God's work in your life and you surrender. Other people in here, I don't know where you're at in life with family and jobs and stress and bills and all that kind of stuff. I wonder if you would just stop and just rest in the fact that you are in a pretty good place if you're in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You're in the family of God. You're a temple. You're the, you're the, you're the, the house of God. It's a, it's a pretty good place to be. And I would just ask you, how are you living that out? What does that mean? Does it matter to us? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Um, I don't know where you're at, uh, but I would just ask that if you have um, maybe a tug at your heart right now where God is kind of working on you, I I would beg and plead with you to spend time at the altar this morning asking God for whatever it is you need. We'll have our pastors up here. We'd be glad to have a conversation with you. Um, maybe, maybe you're a Christian and you've been, you've been kind of running to earthly forms of comfort. I would just plead with you. God is the one who did the work. Don't try to do the rest of it on your own. I don't know where you're at this morning. But this is no time to miss what God's, God has done for you. So we'll, we'll stand and we'll sing. And if you have any decisions to make, you can come forward. If you're going to be baptized, you can go ahead and go back. But if you have a decision to make, if you'd like to join the church, if you, if you just would like to come up to the altar and pray, our pastors will be here and, and the altar is open. Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned of me. How marvelous! How
Well, amen. As we have people preparing for baptism right now, I'm going to ask our ushers, if you will, to uh, come on to the front, and we're about to receive our offering. So good to see so many guests here today. Some of you are here today because you had a senior graduating. Some of you are here because uh, you're going to watch someone uh, demonstrate their faith through baptism. And some of you are here because, hey, you're just looking for a great place to worship God, and we're glad that He sent you to this place. Would, would you do us the favor of filling out the little card in the chair in front of you and dropping in the plate when it comes by? We'd love to have an email address so that we can let you know of things going on here at Indian Springs. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you uh, for this great day that we've had already. Lord, thank you for what we're about to see here in just a little while. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, to give back just a little of all that you've given to us because we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. got a beautiful group of folks that have come this morning to follow the Lord in believers baptism you know they are not going through the waters of baptism in order to get something they're going through the waters of baptism because they have received something and they want you to know that they have so we're rejoicing with them Chloe won't you come first this is Chloe Spicer because you've asked the Lord Jesus to come into your heart, forgive your sin, and save you. I get to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, amen. Riley Bonnet makes you feel old when you're baptizing kids you remember when they were born. Riley, right there. Riley, because you've asked the Lord Jesus to come in your heart, forgive your sin and save your soul, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
precious teenagers, Caitlin and Jones. Caitlin, because you've asked the Lord Jesus to come into your heart, forgive your sin and save your soul, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is Gunnar Westbrook. This boy may be a preacher one day. Gunner, because you've asked the Lord Jesus to come into your heart, forgive your sin and save your soul, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bill Jones. It's an honor for me to baptize Bill. Uh, it thrills my heart when young folks come to Christ, can live their whole life for Christ. But isn't it great when a mature man realizes that Jesus is the only way and decides to follow him? And Bill, it's an honor for me to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Two couples coming. This is Scott and Misty Skiles. Scott and Misty, you come in. We better get him first, Edwin. <laughs> you want me give him twice? Or? <laughs> Scott, because you asked the Lord Jesus to come in your heart, forgive your sin and save your soul, man. It's an honor for me to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an honor for me to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Next up is Jordan and Taylor Griffey. Jordan and Taylor, you come. We'll start with Jordan. Remember, that's it. Not yet. I'll tell you when, son. You just remember, when I do this, you better dip or I'm dropping you, okay? This is Jordan Griffey. Jordan, because you've asked the Lord Jesus to come in your heart, forgive your sin, save your soul, baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is his better half, Taylor. Taylor, because you've asked the Lord Jesus to come in your heart, forgive your sin, save your soul, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, isn't it precious to see these follow the Lord in obedience? I know Jordan's story and uh, see a young man get turned on to Jesus Christ and take his young bride and, and go with her through baptism is an incredible story. You get young folks like this, gang, we can shake our community for Jesus Christ. Amen? 
And I think Don's going to introduce a family that's going to change our roles in just one fell swoop. Amen. Tom gets excited. He'll start preaching. We better interrupt him here, all right? A great day in the Lord here at Indian Springs. Uh, always good when we see people baptized. And always good when God blesses us by placing new members in the body. The Scripture says He places members in the body as it pleases Him. And we're so pleased that it pleased him to send to us David and Cheryl Adair. If you guys will come and, and stand. You probably, many of you have been praying for this couple for a long time. Uh, when when uh, little Lewis was just recently born, uh, Cheryl had to have complete bed rest for a number of weeks. And we prayed for her and, and ministered to them. And so they come today believing that this is the body of Christ where God has called them to serve. David and Cheryl Adair. And I'm going to have to cheat with the kids, all right? I'm about to read those, okay, because I might leave somebody out. We have Matt. Raise your hand when I call your names. Matthew, Ben, Shanti, Quinn, Emmy. Talia's right there, and little Lewis over there can't raise his arm yet. But uh, we're glad to have this family in our church. And I want to ask you, as we stand here in just a moment before you leave, I want you to come by and let them know how glad you are to have them in the family of God, the body of Christ here at Indian Springs. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Have a great afternoon. Remember, we're leaving us the church, so let's represent Christ everywhere we go, all right? This love of ours will rise.